Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, God, that we get to, to look into it, Lord. And, and as we look into it, Lord, it looks into us. It pokes around in the cracks and crevices of our heart, Lord. Things that are in, the, in, the, uh, in areas that maybe we, we haven't gone or don't want to go, Lord. You're so good, and you do it in love, Lord. It's the, the probing of your Holy Spirit by your word. Uh, we need it so much, Lord, and we just give you our hearts today, Lord, our minds. Pray that if anything's out of alignment with you, that you'd bring it back into alignment, that you'd, you'd uh, tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. David, the beloved, he's anointed of God, uh, specifically handpicked to be the next king of Israel, and he finds the, the circumstances in his life, everything going on around him, it's not good. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. And it's this, a season of refining and growth for him. It's preparation. And we looked in the last chapter, David loses his last friend, his closest friend. And, and David is going to be off on his own. It's going to be him and the Lord. In verse 1 in chapter 21, it says, And David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. And he said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? So uh, why does David go to Nob? Why, why does he choose? What's the big deal about Nob? Well, that's where the tabernacle was. That's what represented God's presence. That's what represented the people that serve him. David goes to, to the place that many of us find ourselves going when, when life is tough, when life is rough. It was the place that I went to when I, before I was even saved. It was like I tried every other avenue in this world. Drugs, alcohol, relationships, just living my life however I wanted. And then you find yourself at the, at the one place that you need to be, and that's the sanctuary of God. And that's where David goes for answers. Right? Because the world doesn't have the answers. You've been trying the world. You've been trying the things of the world. That's what I did for years. I tried the things that the world had to offer, and there were no answers. Right? And in the sanctuary of God, if you remember, in Psalm 73, Asaph, he's one of David's worship leaders. He'll be, he'll be one of Solomon's worship leaders. He, he's confused. He's looking around and he's, he's wondering, man, why are these people, these ungodly people who actually blaspheme you, Lord, how are they succeeding? How are they being blessed? There's no trouble in their, their, their life. There's no trials. There's nothing going on in their life that's hard. And he was complaining. He says, man, my foot almost slipped. It was actually even hard to walk with you, Lord, as I looked around at the world and what I was trying to do in walking with you, and I saw these other people, they had no desire to walk with you and how their life seemed to be so blessed. And then it says, and then I entered the sanctuary of God, and I understood their end. Man, then I got a front-end alignment, and I knew better than I know now. Right? You come to church, and the Bible is, is alive, right? I, I, I'm giving my thoughts on chapter 21 of, of 1 Samuel, but God is giving you, even as I, I'm talking and reading the word, God is giving you his evaluation of what's going on in your life. He's telling you things that I'm not saying. 
That's how alive the word of God is. He's so faithful to tell you where you're at and what's going on. I remember when I first went to church, the few, first few experiences, the, the first thing I thought was, number one, someone called the pastor and told him I was coming, told him my whole history, what I was going through, like, what is going on? How does this, do you know my name? Right? I was looking around to see who I knew in the room. Like somebody called this in. But the second thing I thought was everyone here has it all together. I'm there, people are raising their hands during worship and they have their Bibles open and they've got it marked and they've got, you know, not just one little book tab in their mark, they've got like 20 of them with, you know, post-it notes and I'm like, man, these guys have their life together, right? But to come to find out they don't, that's why they're here too. You're not here because your life is together. You're here to get it together because the world can't put it together. You can't find your life in the world. You can't figure it out. And God wants you to align your will with his. The way, the Bible says, the way of the transgressor is hard. And you find life hard. And then you find yourself in the sanctuary of God. And man, God just meets with you, speaks to you, and, and frees you. And that's where David goes. He, he, he comes to Nob. He knows, listen, that's where the tabernacle is. That's where the temple is. And it says Ahimelech, and Ahimelech would be very familiar with David. David is one of, uh, one of Saul's mighty men of valor, probably his best captain. And it says Ahimelech was afraid when he met David, and he said, why are you alone and no one is with you, right? What a great guy Ahimelech is. Man, he, he's, he's like, David, something's wrong here, right? He probably understood, man, normally David you know, travels with, with this entourage of people. He's over a thousand soldiers, and he shows up there all alone. He's all by himself, and Ahimelech's like, man, something's off here. Something's weird going on. He's got discernment. And he asks David a question, right? And God of, often does that when you're in the sanctuary. He starts asking you personal questions. He starts reminding you of things, stories, stuff that's going on in your life, stuff that you said during the week or last week or last month. And questions are being asked and they're running through your mind, right? And that's Ahimelech's like, why are you here? What's going on? He's afraid, right? Probably made David a little afra afraid, if you remember, in Acts chapter 9, Saul is chasing Christians. He's heading to Damascus, ready to persecute Christians there. And, and the Lord knocks him off his horse and asks him a question. Man, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Man, it's, are you sick of kicking? What are you doing, right? And sometimes that's what God does. He just begins to ask you personal questions. Why are you going down this road? Why are you traveling this road? And that's what Ahimelech does. He begins to ask him questions because he wants to know what's going on. Because without the right diagnosis in somebody's life, you're going to get the wrong treatment. With the wrong diagnosis, you're going to get the wrong treatment. And he wants to know what David is doing. And the answer for you and I is always in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. He, God tells you the truth, not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. 
Listen, if your lifestyle doesn't line up with the Word of God, the Word of God doesn't need to change, you do. Right? And that's that, that, and, and, you know, we can twist it or try to grab a, listen, our life, God wants it to, because that's the blessed life. That's the life where God, David, even though he's going through hard things, it's refining. David is maturing, he's growing. God is preparing him to be a king. So he asked him this question, man, why are you alone and no one is with you? This is weird. And David can tell he's afraid. And David has a, cho- has a choice at this point. He can either tell his story or make up a story. He can either be honest or dishonest. And David, on his way to Nob, however long it took, is thinking about what he's going to say. What am I going to tell the priest? He's going to be, you know, I know Ahimelech, man, that guy's got discernment. That, you know, he knows this guy. I wonder what I'm, what I'm going to say. So he's thinking about it, probably. And he has the choice. What am I going to say? What am I going to tell him when he asks me what I'm doing here? What's going on? And David doesn't skip a beat in verse 2. He says to Ahimelech the priest, the king has ordered me on some business. And he said to me, do not let anyone know anything about this business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young man to such and such, such a place. So I've got soldiers over there. You don't see them. I left them around the corner. You know, that's, that's the problem. That's why I'm by myself. And he fabricates this whole lie right? And the Bible's not condoning it or condemning it. Uh, And the Bible also doesn't flatter its heroes, right? It doesn't because we get to jump in their shoes because this is us. David is is lying. Why? It's self-preservation. He's running from the king. He's not sure who to trust, and he lies. It worked in the last chapter. He came up with a lie to Jonathan and said, hey, let's just lie We'll say I'm, in the, you know, I'm back in Bethlehem, but I'll be waiting in the field by this rock. You shoot the arrows. We'll figure this whole thing out. And, I, and I'm telling your dad wants to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, 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 but yeah, we'll do that. And he lied. And that hook was in the heart to lie. The hook gets in there. And now he's hooked. And we're going to see how this plays out. John chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's so freeing to be honest, isn't it? Just to be honest. You don't have to figure out what you told this person and that person and this person. You're just honest. You're just living in the light with fellowship with the Lord, and, you, and, and it's free. It frees your conscience. It frees your soul. And David has no idea what this lie, how it's going to impact a person a situation, how it could harm anyone. Proverbs 18, 21, you guys know this, I'm sure. Solomon says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And David just lies. He figures, you know, it's just self-preservation. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to die, you know. And 
he keeps going. And in the next chapter, we're going to see the, the, the problem with his lie. Because we're going to meet a man in verse 7. His name is Doag. He's a shepherd for Saul. And it just references, it references him briefly in this chapter. Uh, and, and then we see what happens in the next chapter. Doag tells on David that he's been there in Nob. And Saul goes to Nob and he slaughters every single priest, their wives, their children, all their animals. What that lie did, it killed everyone in the whole town. David had no idea the impact or the effect it was going to have. He's preserving himself. He was justified, he thought, in lying. And the Bible is so clear. That's what he told, told the, the scribes and Pharisees. You're of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. How did the devil murder in the beginning? He lied to Eve. It was just a lie. One little lie. Twisting of scriptures even. And it killed. That's what happens. Lies kill. It's not good. Even little ones. And David has no idea, but we see the impact. And then when David realizes it, David is broken. We're going to see that next week. He's broken over the lie. He says, this is my fault. It's my, I'm taking full responsibility. I did this. It's the whole reason this happened. And then he'll say in Psalm 119, 29, his prayer will be to God, remove from me the way of lying. God, please remove from me the way of lying because it's a hook in his heart right now. And he sees the impact it's having on other people. He, see, he sees, oh wow, this really actually affects other people. Dishonesty. But he doesn't know yet. And it won't be the last time he lies. Now therefore, verse 3, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand. That's not going to feed 5,000 or 1,000 troops. Or whatever can be found. Give me some of your food, Ahimelech. And the priest answered David and said, There's no common bread on hand, but there's holy bread. And if the young men had, have at least kept, kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been, have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel that day. So the priest gave him holy bread, hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but show bread, which had been taken from, taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. I think this is God getting David's attention again. God is getting his attention He's like, there's no common bread here. And that's when you come to church, it's, you know, it's not common. What's being said here, you're not going to hear uh, when you're at work unless you're around other believers. This isn't common. This is special, right? And if you read Leviticus, I think it's 24, it talks about the show bread, this holy bread. It was 12 loaves of bread on the golden table there in the tabernacle. And it, it literally meant the bread of faces or the bread of presence. And it's where, and it all represented the tribes of Israel, and they'd put it on that table, and it represented that God was fellowshipping with these people. 
and had communion. And they were together. They lived life together. That's what it represented, that God literally wants to live life with you and with me. We're not, he just doesn't say, okay, you know, if you're saved, then go try to, try to do it. Good luck on your own. No, it, it's meant that it's every day. And it sat there every day for seven days. And then at the end of seven days, the priest would make new bread and it would be fresh. Fresh fellowship. Fresh communion. Fresh walk. You're, you, and, and that's what kind of happens here on Sunday, man. You, you live, you know, during the week. And you should, it, your fellowship with the Lord should be fresh. It should be current. It should be all the time. But then you come to church and then, and then oh man, you get to hang out with brothers and sisters. The word's being, it's going forth. And you get encouraged, right? That's why the Bible says to not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is, as you see the day approaching. Man, you need it. We need church. We need each other. We need fellowship. We need encouragement. So he wants any kind of bread. Give me whatever you got, cornbread, whatever. I'll take whatever. And I thought about Peter and John when they went to the temple. They're heading to the temple in, in the book of Acts, and, and there's a guy there who's lame from birth, hasn't been able to move his whole life, and he's just laid at the gate called Beautiful. And he's laying there, and... He fastens his eyes. Peter fastens his eyes on this guy. This guy's looking at Peter, and this guy's thinking, perfect. He's going to give me some money. I know it, right? Because he's used, he sat there all the time, and he'd make that uncomfortable eye contact. You know, you've, you've driven around cities before where somebody's walking, and they're trying to make eye contact with you when you're at a stoplight. You're like, oh, goodness, don't look. Roll up the windows, you know, sometimes, right? And that's what's going on. He's at this gate, and he makes eye contact with Peter, and he wants money. Something common, something regular. And Peter says, listen, silver and gold have I none. Listen, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have, I've got something way better. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he grabs the guy by the hand, and his life is transformed and changed. Way better than money. Way better than having stuff. A transformed life is what this guy gets. And he's looking for just something common. Give me some money. Give me some bread, right? I'll take anything. We had, when we left Mexico, we're heading to the border, and you know, people are looking for money, and they, they're selling things. And a guy, you know, we had given away, we had all kinds of like Mexican coins and money, and we were giving it all away. And then we didn't have anything left, uh, but we had these burritos that we brought for breakfast, and I saw a guy there. I'm like, "Come on, give him the burritos! Give him the burritos!" You know, and we just, "Hey, Jesus loves you! Oh, thanks, Ali. I want, want those, right?" What an opportunity we have when people have need to give them more than just bread, to give them more than just money, to give them more than just stuff. We've got so much more, and that's what David needed. He's got, you know, hey, do you got some bread? I just need to get to my next stop. He has no idea where his next stop gonna be, stop's going to be. We're going to find out it's not good. Uh, and, but all I have here is holy bread, hallowed bread. It would blow the priests away because literally that bread would be taken off when the new bread was made and it was given to the priests for them to eat. And they'd be like, wait a second, you're giving that to him? It was my wheat or whatever. 
right? It would blow people away. In Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter 12, as the disciples on the Sabbath day are going through the field and they're grabbing grain, they're eating it, they're putting it in their mouth. The, the, the Pharisees were like, wait a second, they can't do that. Jesus knew what they were talking about. If, but if you read the story, you're like, what did they do? Like they're walking through a field and they grab grain. What, but what they were saying is these guys are harvesting grain. They're threshing it. You know, they're taking the husks off it. And then they're making little cakes of bread in their mouth by chewing it. It's like they're breaking the Sabbath. And then Jesus referenced this story. He said, this is okay. Pe- I'm more concerned with people and their need than your dumb rules. And all the rules they were making on the Sabbath, it was harder to keep it than it was what it was originally designed for. People couldn't even keep the Sabbath. There were so many rules, and still are so many rules today. But it was to be replaced so that bread wasn't stale. And it was a message to David after he lies that sin breaks fellowship. Hard to hear from the Lord after that. When you're in sin, it's hard to, it, it breaks fellowship. Not that God doesn't want a fellowship with you, but your ears wax dim. You can't hear very well. And verse 7, here's Doag. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doag, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. So David here is a shepherd, and he sees this guy. And this guy is no shepherd. Trust me. This guy is no shepherd. We're going to find out in the next chapter who he is. Wicked, wicked man. But he's there, and David sees him. So maybe that's part of why David freaks out here. So David, verse 8, says to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. Right? So I didn't bring my weapons, and, and that was true. But he says, man, the king's business required haste. I, had to, I was in a hurry, right? It's kind of true, right? The king's business was to kill David, so it did require haste, but he's, he's lying again. He's manipulating again, and he's like, yeah, you know. And so David is like locked in, probably maybe seeing Doag. Every situation that's going on is like he, he, he's a little unstable, and he chooses to lie here, manipulate. Man, the king's business required haste. Thankful that our king's business doesn't require haste, does it? He's patient, he's kind, he's long-suffering with us. Our king, he's not stressed out. He doesn't drive us as his children. He gently leads us, right? But David here is being driven, driven by fear, doubt. It required haste, and... So the priest says, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none except that one here. 
And David looks at that thing. He says, oh, there's none like it. Give it to me. And David probably recalling this battle with Goliath, probably his faith stirred again. Like he's, he's at a low point in his life and oh, that's right. I remember I killed Goliath and there's the sword that did it. He's a little messed up because the last time he had that sword in his hand, after he killed Goliath, it was in Goliath's hand right before that. And I'll read you what, what, what David said. David said to the, the Philistines said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you, you've defied, right? David wasn't, care, he didn't care about a sword then. In fact, Saul tried to give him his armor and his weapons. And, Jonathan, and David's like, no, that doesn't fit. I'll just take my sling. Like, that's the faith David had. The zeal David had was just, what do I got? I'm good with a, a rock and a sling. I'll take that. That's all I need. Me and a sling and a stone and God, we can defeat this guy. That's fine. And that's what he goes out and does. That sword didn't help Goliath one bit. But I think God's getting David's attention here too. He said, there it is, it's wrapped in a cloth, it's right behind the ephod. So David has to reach over the ephod to grab this sword. He takes it, there's none like it. This is amazing. I'll take this sword. But if you remember what the ephod was, and, and if you remember Samuel, his mom would bring him one every year, an ephod, year after year as he was growing, right, as he was growing. And the ephod represented, it's what the priests would wear when they went to inquire of the Lord. God, what should we do? What's your, what's your call in my life? Where do we go? How do we, when they wanted to hear from God, they would grab that ephod and they'd put it on. And David didn't know where to go or what to do. And he went, reached over that ephod, said, I'll take a sword. And David, for the next 10 years, will live his life with that sword in his hand, with high highs and low lows. Winning battles and losing battles. For 10 years, tough life he lives. He reached right past it. And then if you turn with me to chapter 30 for a second. David ends up in Philistine country. And, and the king that we're going to get introduced to here in, in, in verse 10 in a second, that same king says in, in Philistine country, says, hey, David, take Ziklag. You can have that town. You, you can set your whole troop up there. David made it sound like, you know, and he was at odds with Saul, but he made it sound like they were, he was fighting Israel, but he wasn't. He was going out, sneaking in the battle, killing the Philistines, making war against God's enemies, but he was pretending that he was an ally with these Philistines. So God, so this this king gives him Ziklag, and it says this in chapter 30. It happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and they attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. And they did not kill anyone, but they carried him away 
and they went their way. So they robbed him and took everyone. And David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with, with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinaham, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, and every man for his sons and his daughters. But listen, David strengthened himself, not with the sword of Goliath, but he strengthened himself in the Lord. And David said to Abiathar the priest, this is Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake him? And he answered, pursue you shall surely overtake him and without fail recover all he should have grabbed the ephod he should have left the sword and grabbed the ephod and said god what's your plan next now what should i do tell me what i should do that's a life of faith lord i'm an idiot i don't know what to do i can't trust my heart me and jonathan just concocted a big lie in the what should i do but he doesn't. He grabs that sword and he'll have a tough life for a few years. It says this in verse 10 back in chapter 21. And David arose with that sword in his hand. Can you imagine? And he fled that day from Saul. And went to Achish, the king of Gath. What? Can you believe we're, you, you're even reading that? Like, that's Goliath's hometown. That's where he's from. That's where his four brothers live. He runs to Gath. He grabs Goliath's sword, which probably would be very familiar to some people in Gath. And he runs there to enemy territory. And the servants of Achish, verse 11, said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying Saul has slain his thousands and David is ten thousands? Like they're even singing, that, that song's even on the radio in Gath. It's crazy. And David runs there. But even... In verse 11, it says, The servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David the king of the land? Is this not David the king of the land? That's what's got Saul so troubled. And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. They will, they will form a union, I think it's like around chapter 27. And Achish will like him. But he was afraid here. And he changed his behavior before them and pretended madness in their hands, scratching on the doors of the gate. And he let his saliva fall down on his beard, which was a shame. The beard was something that, that was uh, kind of sacred for a, for a, a Jew and, and for people who watch Duck Dynasty. It is sacred. Uh, in, in 
Second Samuel, you'll see David's, a bunch of David's men get captured. And, they, and to shame them, they not only stripped them naked, but they shaved off half their beard. And David's like, all right, stay in that next town and let your beards grow and then come back. Like, that's a shame to walk around like that. So it was a shameful thing. What David was doing was very shameful. He pretended he was crazy. I'm mad. I'm crazy. I didn't. I'm out of my mind. And he scratched on the doors of the gate and he let his saliva fall on his beard. And Achish said to his servants, Look, you see this man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Like, have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And David flees. David writes a couple psalms in that time frame. And it says that he was actually taken captive. And, and, and we have some pretty rich psalms from that. And, but he's let go. God, God gives him favor and he leaves. And we'll take a look at chapter 22 next week where David goes to a cave, the cave of Adullam. And that's where God begins to, to start this kingdom. He begins to assemble men that come alongside David uh, from every walk of life. David has it, has it rough, and so do we. People are on the run today. People have questions. People are hurting. The world has beat them up. Bad decisions. Like That's the reason, that's part of the reason that got us here at some point in our life. Like We have questions. The world hasn't been nice to us, and we're sick of living our lives our own way doing it our own way. The way of the transgressor is hard. It's difficult. We, we, we try to do things our own way and you know, there's times where there's, wow, this is amazing. And then other times it's like, bummer. What am I doing? And Jesus has the answer. And he wa- he's asking us to bend to his way. He doesn't want us, he doesn't want to bend to our way. He wants us to bend to his, his word. He wants to make the adjustments in our life and in our heart. And if we're sick of trying everything else, man, Jesus has the answer. He knows what you've been going through. He loves you. He died for you. He cares for you. So we'll take a look at chapter 22 next week. Lord, we're we're thankful for your love, God, for the instruction and guidance we have in your word, the truth that's there, Lord. We're we're thankful, God, that that, uh, uh, your heroes aren't glamorized in the word, that we can relate to men like David, flawed men, but they see their flaws. God, we want to see ours. David repented. He'll spend a lifetime repenting, making mistakes and repenting. But we know that that when you anointed him, you said, that you're seeking after a man. You've chosen a man after your own heart, Lord. That's what we want. I pray you give us hearts after yours, Lord. We need your heart. We need your mind. God, this world has nothing for us, Lord. We need what's done in the sanctuary. We need what's done by your word. We need what's done by your Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds, Lord, to take place, God. So pray for everyone here that uh, you administer to their hearts and minds right where they're at, God. You, you speak beyond anything I say. 
Lord, this is your word, uh, and, and it's powerful. We're thankful for it, Jesus, in your name.